0: I just want to say, I think you guys get some bonus points for showing up this morning and showing up on time. (laughs) Yeah, give yourselves a hand. I thought we might be like a smaller but mighty band of people this morning. I know I'm feeling a little bit tired. Some of you have been asking me, is this the first Sunday where Ken is on sabbatical? Yes, it is. <laughs> he is uh, happily resting, and so I've got, um, we've got some guest speakers. I'll be writing a little bit about it this week in the update, but we've got some guest speakers lined up for the next three months, one to help me with some, some of the workload of it, but also so you don't have to listen to me for like 12 or 13 weeks straight. So you can look forward. We've got some really good people, including a couple people who are part of our congregation as well as a couple of external speakers. All right, so we are in the middle of our sermon series, "Soulless Jesus," and we've been making the case that Jesus is the ultimate authority of the church, and that we can know Jesus not only through Scripture, much like Hannah was saying, but also through God's Spirit, through relationship with Jesus, who is given to us to help lead us and guide us, and to help lead and guide the church. And in that, we're not saying that scripture lacks authority. It absolutely does not lack it. It's just not the ultimate authority that Jesus is. And so this morning, we're going to start with a story from the Old Testament. Because it's been interesting to me as I've been reading through and studying some of this that I even see in the Old Testament in the days prior to Jesus that sometimes when God led his people into like a new territory or into new revelation, he was doing so through his spirit. He was doing so through his presence. And we can see this at various places. So we're going to look at one of those this morning. This is from the book of Joshua. And this is a story about when the ancient Hebrews crossed a river. So the ancient Hebrews had been slaves in the land of Egypt for hundreds of years. And so for them, Egypt symbolized captivity and oppression and brutality. And they escaped from this captivity and slavery and they wandered the deserts of the Arabian Peninsula for about 40 years. So they're out in the barren desert and eventually they make their their way to a land that we would know today as Palestine, Israel, Palestine, Jordan. And this land was said to be fruitful, right? It was a land that was said to be flowing with milk and honey, They had sent scouts ahead of them, and these scouts came back, and it said that they had a a single cluster of grapes that were so big that they had to be carried on a pole between two men. It was a land that had figs and pomegranates. It was a land that symbolized freedom from captivity and slavery and barrenness from this desert, right? There was food and water and abundance and hope. And what stood between these people and that land, right, what stood between them like the captivity and the barrenness they've noted and the the lushness and the freedom of Palestine was a river. And this river was the River Jordan. So I want us to keep some symbolism in mind here. So the River Jordan is sometimes symbolic of death in scriptures. you see this echoed in many of the African-American spirituals. As the American slaves, they looked to this ancient story and they found hope from the captivity that the Hebrew people found. It's like, An example that probably most of us know. I don't know if I should sing this, but join in. I looked over Jordan. What did I see? I started a little low. Coming for to carry me home. A band of angels coming after me. Coming for to carry me home, right? I looked over Jordan. There's others. I'll meet you in the morning when you reach the promised land. On the other side of the Jordan, I'm bound for the promised land. Roll, Jordan, roll. I want to go to heaven when I die to hear the Jordan roll. So the Jordan River, it often symbolizes death or, or is associated with what you have to pass through in order to get to new life. So the man who's leading these Hebrew slaves across this river, his name is Joshua, and he shares his name with Jesus. The name is Yeshua. All right. So Joshua is is translated from Hebrew. Jesus is just the English translation of was it Latin derived from Greek, but it's the same name. It's Yeshua, and it means salvation. So in this book of Joshua, chapter 3, the Hebrew people, they're standing on the edge of the Jordan River, and they're wondering how in the world they're going to cross it to get over to this good land. And they've got something with them. They've got the Ark of the Covenant, right? And we all know what that is because of Indiana Jones, right? <laughs> yeah. It's a wooden box that was said to carry the presence of God himself, right? The spirit of the living God was living inside that ark. And God's spirit was going to guide the people to go ahead of them and guide them across the river into this new land, this new territory. So Joshua 3, 6, 8 says, Joshua said to the priest, Take up that ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they went on up ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they'll know that I'm with you as much as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan, go and stand in the river. All right, so the priests, they took this Ark of the Covenant, carrying the presence of God, and they went and they stood in the river. And it said that as soon as their feet touched the water, that the river stopped flowing. And the text says that the waters then piled up in a heap, some great distance away, at a town called Adam. So this is, this is interesting symbolism here, isn't it? The spirit of God rolling death back to Adam. All right, that's interesting. And then the people crossed over. Have you ever wondered why Jesus got baptized? Like, when I think of baptism, I'm like, I always think of that as like declaring that I am a follower of Jesus. Was Jesus getting up and being like, I think I'm going to follow me. <laughs> yeah. Like there are other people who were also getting baptized before him. He got baptized in the Jordan River, as did those others, because what he was doing was identifying with this story. And he was saying to his people who knew this story in and out, right, who relive it every Passover, that he is the new Joshua. Right? He's the new Joshua, leading people from slavery and oppression and barrenness into something better. They were expressing their hope that God would once again free them from captivity and oppression from the Romans this time. And Jesus was saying, if you follow me, I am your new Joshua. Right? And so when we follow Jesus, what we're doing is we're invited to embrace this path that lead us away from things that bring us bondage. Right? Our addictions, our shame, our bitterness, toward other people, our self-critique. We might call these things our sin. That word's got so much baggage. But sin, I just think of it's stuff that gets in the way that disconnects us from God and each other and ourselves and the world around us. And so following Jesus through this river is an invitation to follow the Spirit of God and to die to ourselves and then to resurrect with God into this new life, this land where there is a promise of hope. And I think Jesus was baptized so that we would understand the story, right? He was baptized to make the claim that if we do follow him through this water, if we follow his ways, he'll lead us into freedom. And the way of Jesus is different than the way we might think about how to run our own lives, right? The way of Jesus is sacrificial love. Following Jesus is a way that provokes us to embrace outsiders into a community of belonging with God, It's not about mastering a set of rules. It's a way that awakens other people to the spirit of love, to the spirit of Jesus that's at work in their own lives and in the world around them. It's about healing and repairing and restoration. And it's a way of power, but it's not a way of power like we think it is, right? It's a way of power that talks about vulnerability and our dependence on God. And when we follow the ways of Jesus, we find that those things that bring us disconnection can begin to fall away in our lives. And that's a slow process that is a lifelong process. And so that's what baptism symbolizes. Right? When we get dunked under that water, we are joining this story. It's symbolic of joining in with Jesus's death and the, the death symbolized by the Jordan River and we're coming up into new life. Does that make sense? And so when we get baptized, we don't have to be doubt-free. I don't think very many people are doubt-free. But what it is, is it's a public commitment to following the way of Jesus. And so we have a few people who are signed up to get baptized on Easter. And I thought if you'd like to get baptized, I would love to chat with you. So clearly I told this story in part because I wanted to talk about baptism a little bit. But I also told it because I do think it's a prototype for Jesus followers and for the church, right? That even in the Old Testament people were read, led by a spirit. And when we follow the spirit of Jesus that we can be led into new territory and these are hopefully revelations for us and for the church that bring goodness to our lives and to the lives of other people. So we've been talking about how we can hear from God. And I was thinking this week and I thought, you know, maybe this is a helpful picture of how I picture the presence of God. So imagine a human, uh, maybe you, whatever, swimming in the ocean and you go past a school of fish and you see them and you say, hey, good day. You know, how are you finding the water? And the fish say, what water? Right? And I think, sometimes God's presence is maybe a little bit like that, that we don't even know we're swimming in it because we don't have like a concrete way to conceive of it. I think sometimes we don't want to conceive of it. Like maybe we might not want that worldview to change. But I actually think anyone can hear from God and I think that God is communicating with humans all the time. I think it's more seldom that God is giving us like direct words, like where we're hearing something or something directional. I think that happens more seldom for most people. But people are experiencing God in the world around them, in nature, in the love of their friends and their neighbors, maybe in a kind word. And God, you know, he created us with so much diversity. And I think he loves and he values that diversity of the humans that he created. So to me, it makes sense that God reveals himself to different people in many different ways to honor that. So I wanted to share with you just a couple of those ways this morning, because I thought it might be helpful to have some more personal testimony of how some people are hearing from Jesus. So this first one is from my friend Jane, and she's been watching our sermons live online. I can say, hi, Jane. Um, so Jane Clementi is a woman who some of our staff met at the Gay Christian Network Conference, and she had a son, um, well, she has three sons, but she had a son who was at Rutgers University, and he was outed by his roommate, and he ended up committing suicide. That was about five years ago. And so since then, Jane, she started a foundation called the Tyler Clemente Foundation. That was the name of her son. And what they work on is anti-bullying for LGBTQ youth, and she's just this wonderful woman of God. So she told me I could share this uh, communication I had with her this week. She said, I'm now at a place where my fog has lifted and life is getting busier. And I've been thinking and struggling with the thought that I might stop hearing God's voice. And so, in response to your question this week, yes, God is totally speaking to me in many ways. He speaks to me through nature and people, as well as scripture, and mostly through his perfect timing that I've named God incidences. He's been my conductor for my orchestra of life these last five years. And when I was unable to do or organize anything, he took care of everything from the smallest details to the largest impossibilities. And the other interesting point is he used language I could understand. I like this. He used language I could understand when everything was so mixed up and confusing. I could not stay focused on much. And then I noticed he was using single words over and over again, to hold me and encourage me. And I would hear just one single word out of a whole string of things that people were saying, and I would hear that word repeated over and over by many people in a short period of time. I wanted to just pause there because I don't know if I've ever heard somebody describe that being a way that God talked to them, and I thought it was really beautiful and really tender that if you could be in a place of like such grief. And so much fog that our God is so tender that He's trying to find a way to get through to her and to comfort her, even if that meant like I can only say one word. Hold on to what you can hear. And she said, sometimes it was just noise, thumping. Sometimes I guess it was my own heart beating, but it would come at a time when I needed to remember Isaiah forty eleven, and there were so many instances. So I looked up Isaiah forty eleven, and it's so tender. So as he tends his flock like a shepherd, he gathers the lambs in his arms, he carries them close to his heart, and he gently leads those that have young. So Jane, she hears God in a lot of different ways. You know, I think I probably tend to also, but it's worth noting that some people tend to hear God primarily maybe through one way over another, through nature or music or dreams, art, maybe through thoughts in your head. I like what Jane calls God incidences. Uh, My friend Johnny told me about one of these this week, and she told me I could share it. So I might get the details wrong. You can just correct me. So Johnny and Amber, many of you know, they're members here. And they have a daughter who they adopted a few years ago, Livvy, who is lovely. And so Johnny was saying that they found out about the possibility of adopting her two weeks before you got her, right? And so... Um, they were praying and just asking God if this was the right thing and they were feeling like it was they were feeling pretty good about it and then it felt like maybe a little hesitantly maybe a little sheepishly Johnny just kind of added if this is from you God like could Livy be born on my birthday and how was she she wasn't due on your birthday right she was due three days after after. Um, but lo and behold Livy was born that morning on Johnny's birthday and that seemed to be really reassuring and to bring like an extra piece that God was maybe smiling on this. And so I thought that was kind of a beautiful testimony of what you might call like God just showing up in, in what you might think is coincidence, but maybe it's not, right? So the question then can become like, how do we know that what we're hearing is from God? And I think it's good to know that we'll make mistakes and no matter long how, how long you've been following Jesus, you still make mistakes and probably more if you're still be, like your first beginning. I think God even lets us make some so that we can learn. Like you might let a toddler go along and, and fall down a few times just so they know what that's like. right? So if this is new to you, this whole idea of hearing from God, just give yourself a lot of grace. I think God gives us a lot of grace. And I wanted to give like maybe four practical tools, like things that you could think about if you think that you're hearing something from God, particularly if it's like words in your head or something really directional. So the first of those... Like, I, put the, I actually put things that I think I'm hearing through these four tests. Is it the kind of thing that you would say or imagine anyway? Is it the kind of thing that you would say or imagine anyway? And if not, there's probably a greater chance that you're hearing from God. So I was talking with Lisa Ruby this week as well. She also told me I could say this. And she mentioned something that happened a few years ago to her. Um, her son was about three And it was a time of life when she was working like crazy, right? Just like crazy hours. Life was frantic. She had a three-year-old. And she was driving down Washtenaw and, you know, just had a lot of anxious thoughts and a swirling gazillion things going on in her head. And all of a sudden, a voice dropped in and said, everything's going to be okay. Is that right? Everything's going to be okay. And suddenly, like, a peace just washed over her. And so this is what I mean by, is it the kind of thing that you would say or think anyway? Like she might think it's going to be okay, but it seemed like it came out of context in terms of what she was thinking about at the time. And so I think when that happens, there's a greater chance that we're hearing is from God. And to me, the fact that she remembers it and remembers exactly what was said and where she was and how it made her feel so many years ago indicates that something supernatural was happening. The second thing that I I use to sort of test things is, is it the kind of thing that God would say or imply? Right? Above everything, it has to pass the love your neighbor as yourself and love God test, right? So if you think God's telling you to steal from your best friend, that's probably not God. It doesn't pass the love your neighbor test. And God is love. And his voice is loving above all else. And that doesn't mean that God can't speak or doesn't speak words of correction to us. He has certainly spoken them to me. But I think if all you hear are like negative accusing thoughts, that that's probably not God. And it seems like I often talk to people who feel like they hear a lot of like accusing you shoulds, right? A little bit like, you know, maybe it was sort of born out of the sort of thing that Hannah was talking about earlier. Like you should be reading the Bible more. You should be praying more. You should be doing this. You should be doing that and that's like the bulk of what they hear from God and so I say you know like yeah maybe God is asking you to pray more but if that's what you've been hearing for months and years and all you feel is guilty and like you're never doing enough for God and you're not good enough that doesn't strike me as lining up with God's character right that he wants relationship with us and he's not a taskmaster who's trying to make us feel like um, we can never live up to his ways and I feel like he died so that we wouldn't feel that way And so it might be worth trying to ignore those thoughts if that's possible for you Um, and seeing if you hear some other things. I've got um, a tool that's worked for a friend of mine for that. So I'm terrible at journaling. I don't know about some of you. Some people just love it. I'm, I'm terrible. I've tried it. But if it works for you, my friend Jacqueline, she said that she didn't actually think that God could talk to her through her thoughts. And she said that what she did was she sat down with a journal and just tried to write a letter to herself as if it was from God. And she said that she all of a sudden just found that like all of these thoughts just kept flowing and she was writing it downstream of consciousness and she thought, well, gosh, if God made our brains then they could easily be made for communication with God. And so she found that she was writing all kinds of things that would have never come into her head before. And so that might be a tool that you could use if you're having trouble hearing from God to maybe just sort of try and jump start it. So... Ask yourself, is it the kind of thing that you would say or imagine anyway? Is it the kind of thing God would say? Three, ask God to confirm it by other means, right? Especially if it's something really big, right? So this is where I think it's really important to be part of a a faith community where you can ask other people that you can trust and who know you what they think. I think especially about life-changing decisions. Like, if you think God's telling you to quit your job and go do relief work in Haiti, um, you might ask, like, your small group to pray for that with you and then really listen to their input and pay attention to, like, do you have signs of this sort of thing going on in your life already? Right? Do you have a multicultural circle of friends? Do you care for the poor where you're at? Is it already a part of who you are? Those are ways that we can tell if it's something that God is doing. And lastly, You just have a feeling of deep peace. Every single person that I talked to this week about hearing from God, I'll just describe that, like, just something really peaceful came and settled in their hearts when they felt like God was doing something or saying something to them. And so I would say, trust your feelings. Sometimes feelings are seen as untrustworthy, but God gave us feelings and emotions, and so pay attention to those as well. All right, what we're going to do here is have a couple of minutes of silence together and we've been teaching some different prayer techniques for this but this time I think we're just going to do silence because silence is a spiritual discipline as well and if you find that you, you have trouble calming your brain one don't worry don't don't like kick yourself just maybe bring your mind back if it helps you to concentrate on on a picture of Jesus or on one word you can do that and let's just sort of wait Together and invite the presence of God to be with us here in this space. So I will I'll keep a like a sense of the time. I'll just say, come, Holy Spirit, and don't worry about like fussy babies or anything like that. Babies make noise. In the silence you might find that a word or a picture just keeps coming to your mind and if that's the case I would say just sort of lean into it and see where it goes let's continue our silence Thank you, Jesus.